0: I think it's something which needs to happen right across London is about how we deal with our streets. The big problem we have these days is cars, vehicles, pollution, all that sort of thing. And there were very positive changes, I think, made during COVID as well. Now we have to look at how do we make sure that those changes are more permanent. Town
1: Welcome to Camdeners, the official podcast for the Camden Clean Air Initiative with me, Geoffrey Young. In this podcast series, we get to know and discover the lives of Camdeners, those special individuals shaping the unique and vibrant culture of the borough of Camden. And today we're joined by Peter Murray, Curator in Chief of New London Architecture. Welcome, Peter.
0: Very nice to be here.
1: Part of Camden is to get to know the people that live and work and play in the borough of Camden. You've spent a lot of time in this borough and still spending time. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you fit into sort of the borough of Camden.
0: Well, I came up to study architecture back in the 1960s, long time ago, uh, swinging London, so it was very exciting. And uh, I... Started. I lived in Camden. I lived next to uh, Primrose Hill, St Edmund's Terrace. Oh no, uh, well, uh, which was uh, great, and I could walk across the park to Bedford Square, where the Architectural Association was. So, uh, really taking in the borough, going through uh, the place, and uh, the Architectural Association was really the, the sort of centre for architecture in London at the time. Still is to a certain extent, not quite so much. And so there was a whole world of uh, other architects with offices in the area. And so it, w- it was very embedded in that part of Camden and uh, Fitzrovia, Charlotte Street. Bertarelli's in Charlotte Street was uh, a key restaurant where all the architects went. And as a student, you would save up and hopefully you could go and see and you know sit next to uh, a famous architect. And they also did come into the Architectural Association. So there was a real architectural community around there. So that that was a really exciting time. As I say, Swinging London was also uh, that was a great time to be here. And for almost all of my career, really, I have been based in and around Bedford Square, actually not very far away, going a little bit of time over to Portland Place. I worked for the uh, Royal Institute of British Architects there. I edited there journal for them. I then moved to an office in Great Portland Street, moved out of uh, Camden a bit, just um, uh, going over to Spitalfields for a bit, but uh, then back to Store Street, just off Tottenham Court Road. So really, all my working life. And I I also worked for uh, a magazine in the late 60s, early 70s, called Architectural Design Magazine, and that was based in Bloomsbury Square. And one of the interesting things about that was we were quite close to the Camden Architects Department, which then was in Hoburn. And that was also a period when they were doing what is still seen as some of the best new housing in the world of public housing. So uh, things like Alexandra Road, Branch Hill, those are housing schemes, which still today, people come from all around the world to look at. And uh, and I can remember the excitement when we were seeing the designs for those, uh, meeting the architects and seeing them constructed. So that was a great time. So yeah, uh, Camden has been central to my life, really.
1: Wonderful. Well, well, tell us about where that career went, all the many things that you've achieved and the many hats that you've worn?
0: As I said, I I trained as an architect, but actually I found writing about it much more exciting, interesting, and suited me better. So I started working for uh, magazines. And then magazines uh, then you get involved in the debate, so uh, then the debate becomes wider, and so I'd write about things, and then want to follow up, and you see things that need changing, so you become engaged and enthusiastic about it, and uh, that uh, sort of showed itself in in a number of ways. One, I started the Dunedin Festival of Architecture in two thousand and four, and actually it was. Um, uh, called the Clerkenwell Architecture Biennale to start with. That's what we called it. We held it in and around St. John Street uh, going down to uh, Smithfield to the market there. And we just sort of tried it out to see if people would be interested. There was a lovely old building there we were able to use but loads of people came. But well, the big thing we did was we recreated what used to happen in the 17th century in St. John Street was that uh, drovers would drive cows. They'd come down from Newcastle, from, uh, over from Wales. They would come to Smithfield to be slaughtered in the market there. And uh, so that shaped that bit of the city the reason why st john street is wide is because you know it was where the uh, cattle was kept and there were there was a uh, buildings in the center there are bars down the side because it was like the wild west they'd all come down from newcastle and as soon as they'd got rid of their cattle they wanted a drink so uh, we wanted to show that the history of the place was very much, uh, that's what shaped it. That's why it was like... So we we, we got six Longhorn cattle, um, which were the type that which would last gone on the street about 300 years ago, and we drove them down. We covered the whole street in grass, and it became a park just for a weekend. It was fantastic, and we had thousands of people going there. We thought, you know, this is really... Uh, something which has got legs, and so uh, you know, we we we, we did one. Uh, it was, as I say, Biennale every two years. So we did it for a bit. Now, uh, then, about uh, two thousand and ten, we started doing it every year. Now we do it every year, and in June each year, uh, we do we celebrate uh, architecture, communities, uh, cities, and do lots of events all around London. So that's that's a, a really nice. Um, event to be involved with, and it really engages with different parts of the city and different communities. So, so that's great, and that really led on to setting up New London Architecture. And uh, uh, New London Architecture is a, a sort of it was up until recently a permanent space where we had a big model of. London, which shows all the new developments on it so people can see what's happening in their local communities, or you know, we have mayors from other cities who come over and look at it to see exactly what's going on there.
1: Yes, I've seen it. Um is that right next to the gentleman baristas were there in the in that cafe where all the models are yes, right on the
0: That is exactly uh, the place. Uh, yes? yes.
1: Well, I've seen it. Yes. So very impressive. So we had
0: very good coffee there from the gentleman baristas, yes, and yes. Ha- that was a great draw. Actually, that, uh, I'm never quite sure whether the model or the coffee was the big draw. But uh, we we had lots of people coming in just so they can see what is happening, and models are fantastic. People love models, you know. They're like. Dolls' houses, I suppose, and we'd have people come in and they'd be uh, sit there for hours just looking at it and understanding the way the city works, what the shape of London, and it's all fascinating. London is one of the most fascinating cities in the world in terms of how it how it's grown and how it's shaped and how we we've designed it or in some cases haven't designed it. So uh, that people find that very interesting, but then. During COVID obviously we couldn't get people in to see the model we couldn't get we couldn't do anything in the building and then we realized that actually in the post COVID period what is needed is to energize our high streets fill empty spaces so we gave up a permanent space and now we I might say are literally on the streets we we're, we're out there uh, going to local areas looking to see what we can do to activate their space we start off hopefully, on uh, June the 21st. But uh, at the moment, it doesn't seem quite as certain as we it, it did a f- few weeks ago. That we're o- uh, opening a space in Coldrop's Yard in King's Cross. And uh, we're going to have the model there. We're going to uh, make it uh, uh, you know, accessible to everybody. And it's, it's a great place to be. And also, we'll bring more people to King's Cross, which would be great for King's Cross. And also... Fantastic for our audience because uh, you know, another great piece of architecture and planning that has happened, you know, during my lifetime in Camden is the King's Cross regeneration. I mean, that that is seen by people and planners, you know, right across the world as one of the best pieces of new urban regeneration anywhere, and you know, it's been done so well. Uh, uh, good, interesting buildings. Uh, but most of all, there are spaces that uh, people uh, you know, can go there, really enjoy. And I can remember even in, in the early days, I'd go there, absolutely packed. I think, where have all these people come? People are going there because they really like it as a space. They sit down next to the canal. They go to Granary Square. All those spaces are just really things that attract people. And it's the sort of city where people want to be.
1: So what is the magic of king's cross is it the spaces like it's what is it about it you know a I whole think grand although, design
0: i think although it's the biggest regeneration site in europe so it's big it's actually the detail which is most important. It's uh, really how you move from one space to the other, the landscaping, uh, the the paving, uh, the spaces between the buildings. It's been thought out, really, very, very carefully, right from setting... they, they, They set sort of Ten Commandments, right in the early days, about how spaces would be designed, and that provided guidance for all the you know, hundreds of designers and people who were involved. Uh, so it has a it has a, a sort of coherence. It also has variety. You know, so it has the the older buildings, the uh, uh, historic structures there, which have been brilliantly uh, refurbished, but also you've got contemporary buildings too. So and that rich mix of old and new is something which is, you know, we do very well in London. And that was always, if, if I'd have uh, sort of Chinese mayors who would come to uh, London and they'd come to our model and uh, look at the model and, uh, you know, they, 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 they wouldn't think much of our tall buildings because our tall buildings aren't very tall as far as they're concerned. But what they were interested in is how we managed to, uh, you know, build the new with the old, and and that that mix of of London is, uh, you know, something which really creates the, I'd say, the spirit of London, but also is something that actually means that it is very resilient as as a city, which uh, gives gives me hope as we come out of COVID that we will be getting back on our feet, hopefully, in the not too distant future.
1: Fascinating, really fascinating. Now, turning to Camden now. If you had a blank canvas to work with Camden, what what would you what would you like to see uh, happen in terms of architecture or regeneration, you know, redevelopment of F. Camden? Just sort of like what uh, what could we do here with this wonderful canvas we have across the broader borough? Obviously, King's Cross is a standout location. I take well, that further.
0: I think it's something which needs to happen right across London. Is about how we deal with our streets. You know, the the big problem we have these days is cars, vehicles, pollution, all that sort of thing. And I I was enormously impressed when the government came out. You know, very soon after the COVID started, lockdown started, with plans of how we would deal with streets on a temporary basis. Uh, you know, a, a report produced by the Department for Transport, uh, really far-sighted. There w- were very positive changes, I think, made during COVID as well. Now we have to look at how do we make sure that those changes are more permanent. And I think uh, no, we, we, we do have issues. Now, I I think the whole debate around low-traffic neighbourhoods is very interesting at the moment because there's been quite a lot of negativity in areas about the implementation of low-traffic neighbourhoods. But up until COVID, low-traffic neighbourhoods been generally popular. Uh, Local uh, citizens' communities like them because uh, they would provide better streets, children could play in streets, cross the street uh, without being knocked down, Uh, you know, pets were safer, nicer places to live. And in fact, you know, the idea of neighborhoods with uh, lower traffic has been in the sort of lexicon of street planning since the Buchanan report back in the 1960s. So it's been very positive. What happened during COVID-19 was that these were implemented very quickly, and it created a lot of anger amongst people who felt that their journeys were being, uh, you know, spending a few more minutes, getting to where they want to do. And I, we we have to, I think, uh, I know, calm the argument, really, and think, what do we want our streets to be? And the key thing is that really streets are our most important public spaces, I think, in, in, in our cities. You know, they... <laughs> are something we need to think about that need to be healthy, and they're not. Uh, they need to be pleasant places to be, and they're often noisy, and they're dangerous. And uh, we need to find ways of, of, of dealing with that, I think. Uh, and that's as much in Camden as elsewhere. And I think you know, the good thing is that, of course, Camden as a borough has been uh, very far-sighted in its implementation of new cycling infrastructure. The, areas like Tavistock Place. You know, these, these are have to be fought over and uh, changes are happening. You've also got, uh, at the moment, which, of course, I've been watching very carefully for the last, I suppose, seven or eight years, really, is the um, change on Tottenham Court Road and Gower Street. Now, uh, Gower Street is two-way and uh, you've just got buses and uh, cyclists uh, on Tottenham Court Road. And you know the the conditions there just are so much nicer. They're still not quite finished yet. The conditions are better, but also you have smaller streets, side streets, which now become mini parks and they're landscaped and they're much better places, much healthier places to be. Uh, so, I think the answer to your question is we, we need to extend the sort of things that are being done in areas like uh, you know that that space in between. Uh, Gower Street and Tottenham Court Road. That needs to go further to other places as as well, and then you start having just a, a, a city that everyone can enjoy. And I think if 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 you look around the world, you know, all sensible cities are looking at ways of uh, using streets better as public spaces. And so that would be my main message. Great.
1: And, and are there any cities that stand out in your mind as Great cities to look at um, as sort of models, um, you know, of sort of future, of, you know, su- su- particularly sustainable, healthy cities. Any any that just come to mind from an architecture, urban planning point of view.
0: Well, I think that Copenhagen and Rotterdam, the, the Danes and the Dutch, are always quoted as being uh, the people to follow, but actually, I'm. I'm more interested in what happens in the States. And so uh, back in 2013, I set out with um, a dozen or so other architects and planners and we cycled from uh, Portland, Oregon on the uh, west coast of the States right across America looking at cities to see what they were doing about cycling. And I was interested in that because, of course, uh, you know, Americans are obsessed by the car just just as we are here so uh, you know if they're beginning to change what they do we must be able to change what we're doing here as well and somehow i think uh, you know, the Danes seem uh, you know more sensible than we are as a nation they do all sorts of things very they're very organized in a way that we are not so uh, it, it, as i say if the states can do it we can do it so uh, the the right is called Portland Oregon to Portland Place London. So we we actually cycled uh, right across the states, then across Ireland, across Wales, across England and ended up in Portland Place, which is the headquarters of the Royal Institute of British Architects. So we thought that was quite relevant as most of the people on the ride were architects. So uh, and we started in Portland because that is a city which has really uh, done the most, I think probably in the states to uh, make uh, cycling a central part of its its culture. But we also found other places like Minneapolis. Minneapolis, despite the fact that it's one of the hottest uh, US cities in the summer, and one of the coldest in the winter, still has a high percentage of, of people cycling. Some really lovely infrastructure, cycling bridges, a metro system which uh, connects to it, a greenway, really nice stuff in Minneapolis. But one of the places which really you know, sets an example to all of us is New York, which is you know incredibly busy city, lot of traffic, uh, but they've delivered a huge amount of infrastructure in recent years, and they did something which i think is 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 really important is that they they did temporary installations and if they worked uh, they uh, were permanent so for instance times square which is now a public pedestrian space was just a horrible great junction before one weekend you know, they put in temporary signs no uh, traffic put in pots and plants and seats and so on and turned it into a space it worked and uh, people would now never think of going back to what it was before. And then after a time, they put in more permanent uh, infrastructure to uh, make it the place it is today. And I think that uh, temporary use is really important. It's something that, you know, we, 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 we've learned that over COVID. And at the moment, I'm living in Chiswick And uh, we have CS9. uh, uh, Well, actually, no, it's just called C9 because they're cycleways, not cycle superhighways anymore uh, to sort of, I might say, calm down the speed a little bit. So, uh, and and that is uh, a really great installation, which was uh, using light segregation, not big curbs and things. And I think that that, is one of the ways of the future. Lighter segregation, which is a bit more more adaptable than big curbs. And at the moment, one of the uh, events which is being organized by the Construction Industry Cycling Commission uh, as a part of the London Festival of Architecture is an international competition for what we'd call light segregation, uh, which is uh, uh, less expensive to deliver. It's slightly more adaptable. And if you think that over the next 10 to 15 years, our streets are going to change hugely in all sorts of ways. You know, Maybe we're going to have autonomous vehicles. Who knows? Um, we certainly have more electric vehicles. Uh, we might have little robots carrying groceries around, you know, all sorts of things. We need to be able to adapt our streets to suit uh, new technology. So I think investing too much money into hefty curbs is one quite difficult at the moment because TFL hasn't got any money, uh, sadly, some, you know, because of uh, COVID. Although uh, the government has insisted that they put aside a hundred million in the latest settlement, they have to uh, cycling and walking infrastructure. So there's a bit of money there, but it's going to be spread quite thinly. So economic ways of doing it. So um, we hope this um, competition is going to come up with sort of really nice ideas uh, to create more attractive. Uh, barriers to uh, vehicles than uh, plastic poles which we have all over the place and uh, got a really exciting jury it's with with, uh, David Byrne of Talking Heads who um, is one of my sort of heroic pop figures but also he's the author of a book called Bicycle Diaries and has actually designed some quite interesting parking infrastructure in New York uh, because he's a, a Polymath, I guess. So he, he he's on the jury. So I'm really looking to uh, forward to the debates about how we create uh, better infrastructure in the post-COVID environment. Wow, sounds like there's
1: a you know for those, um, especially those youngsters that are going to enjoy London in the next uh, forty years. Like the, the the kids growing up today in London are going to enjoy a, a fabulous city, and hopefully all that uh, infrastructure makes its way very much to. To Camden as well, yeah. What a what a what a place um, and what a world we have ahead of us. Actually, I think I'm quite optimistic. Uh.
0: I I I think that um, you know one can see periods of change uh, as as periods for optimism as well because it does allow you to reset. That you know, it's getting a bit corny, I suppose, but the whole idea of build back better, I think, is really important. When we make decisions, let's make better decisions. And I think that that is pretty well embedded into, you know, most political thinking, both sides of the divide uh, these days. And and I I have uh, real hope that uh, as we come out of COVID and uh, people make decisions about recovery, we will actually get a better city. And I think probably it is going to be a younger city uh, when people come back because, you hear about people, you know, wanting to move out to the countryside. Yeah, okay, you do if you maybe you've got a couple of kids and you want to garden and things like that. But if if you're young, ambitious, looking for an exciting life, um, you want to be in the centre of things, really. What a
1: great centre it's going to be! Shout out to our sound guy Chris there,
0: <laughs>
1: living the life, living the dream in London. Yeah, no, um, so. Just on the, the point of cycling, uh, just uh, point of curiosity: How long did that trip across the America take take you? Um,
0: uh, two months, thirteen days it wow. took in total. And uh, but that wasn't all cycling. We would we would spend two or three days in the the more interesting cities, yep. as I say, like Minneapolis. Yep. Philadelphia was lovely, and uh, but the, the most memorable thing was places like Wyoming, where you're just cycling on a road which goes off into infinity. You just can't see the end of it. And to think, you know, you're about to cycle across a continent is uh, an awesome feeling.
1: Wow. Yeah, I must say, you, you mentioned New York earlier. I think one of my kind of moments of cycling is cycling across the Williamsburg Bridge towards Ma- from Brooklyn to Manhattan. It's just, oh my gosh, you know. <laughs>
0: Yes. Yeah, I, th- I, I, th- I think uh, those sort of experience, uh, it's not often in car journeys, you, you have that sort of response to cities. And uh, actually, uh, one of my great cycling experiences, uh, uh, slightly similar to yours, that there is a uh, cycleway going all the way up. Uh, the uh, west side of uh, Manhattan Island. And so you can go from Battery Park uh, right on up past Central Park uh, without really seeing any traffic at all, which uh, to find that in America was a real, you know, wonderful surprise for me. And it's a fantastic ride just going along the the Hudson River there. It's fantastic.
1: So one thing I'd like to just get your your take on, you're obviously a very keen cyclist. You've been cycling... I don't know when did you when did you get interested in cycling and, and and what does it mean to you?
0: Well, I've 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 always commuted a bit, but I got into longer distance cycling. I suppose in my late forties, really, as one does you know, uh, ways of keeping fit and so on. And I started by uh, the British Legion runs rides to Paris every every year called Pedal to Paris and. Because it's for the you know, run by military people, it's run with incredible efficiency, and it was a it was a fantastic ride, and uh, there were whole range of speeds people were going at. And so it's very good for uh, people starting out to ride, but also there were quicker riders who uh, went on ahead. And uh, that was a brilliant ride. And you would turn up at the Arc de Triomphe. And again, because it was military, the French army came out, they had a band there, and they closed off the Champs-Élysées, and you could ride up like it was the Tour de France. And so it was a great ride. And that really got me enthusiastic in uh, longer rides. I then did Lands End to John of Groats, and then I used to go every year to a uh, an exhibition down in Cannes in the south of France uh, in March every year in March, and so I got together a few friends. This was back in two thousand and six. Say, why don't we cycle down? Because it's greener, much greener if we cycle down, and uh, so we 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 did that, and we did that over five days. And uh, we were cycling from sort of six o'clock in the morning till uh, late at night, and it was it was quite quite an ad- adventure. And then the next year, more people wanted to do it. And then uh, year after that, more people, and so it grew into. Before lockdown, there were sort of two hundred people in two pelotons. Cycling down, we were raising money uh, for Coram Foundation here, great, camp, you know, the first charity really I think ever set up, uh, and that's one of Camden's great, great, uh, well, great museum there, and of course, great uh, support for young children. So it's it's a fantastic charity, and uh, one of my, I would say, proudest uh, claims is that. Uh, club peloton which is the uh, organization now which runs that that ride and ride, runs other rides for charity as well is the largest uh, single donor to the Corum Foundation since William Hogarth so i, th- I thought that, that that's a that's a pretty good uh, claim to fame really so i'm i'm i'm, I'm very proud of that so uh, you know these riders they go down and uh, you know raise quarter of a million quid on a ride it's fantastic, and uh, it, it, it's a, just a wonder. I, I love seeing the pelotons sweeping down into the south of France. I've, I've, I've done it about five times myself, but uh, now they're all too young and fast for me, so I just take it easy.
1: So you were mentioning that you had an experience yesterday?
0: I'm sort of hugely disappointed and very angry about it, really, because uh, you know I've, I've spent many years campaigning for better cycling, Infrastructure, but my wife has always said uh, it's too dangerous, and also, you know, how, how can how can I go in this dress on a bicycle? Anyway, we were going out to uh, lunch yesterday, and I'd uh, she had did have a bike, but it was very old and dirty in the shed, and I got it out, I put new tires on it, did up the brakes, polished it up, and uh, said, you know, why don't we? S- cycle to lunch because we've got this new infrastructure around here it'll be very safe and you'll be you'll be fine so yeah she agreed so uh, we uh, cycled through some protected uh, cycle lanes and then we got onto a pretty quiet residential road and we were cycling along and a big black suv close passes her and causes her to wobble and come off. So she fell off into a car, which was parked, uh, and cut her knees and things like that. Luckily, I didn't break anything, but uh, was um, uh, you know shaken up by it. Anyway, she said, get back on the bike. And uh, then we went to lunch. She cycled back and then... Actually, in our own street, which is uh, got cars parked either side, so not a great deal of width in the middle. Another car went close past her, uh, and uh, she, you know, she didn't come off, but she was uh, really shaken by that, and so got home and said, "That's it. I'm not going to try it. It's too dangerous." And I, I just think that's a tragedy. So, what, what can we do to solve this this problem of conflict between the cars and the cyclists? I think. Broadly, we have to everyone needs to be more considerate towards each other. You know, it's a fundamental uh, shift. There are proposals in a amended highway code at the moment. Uh, which I think are excellent, and uh, we wait to see whether the government accepts them. And that recommendation is that we have this idea that it's, you know, give way to the weakest. So basically, the pedestrian is the most vulnerable, cyclists should give way to pedestrians, and motorists and lorries should give way to cyclists. So uh, that hierarchy, and that's a hierarchy which you find in, in, in Holland and Germany, And uh, it it works really, really well there, and uh, I hope very much that it's going to be adopted here. So first of all, consideration, but and that is the general way we use the roads, and it applies to cyclists as I see lots of cyclists who don't behave as well as one would like them to. Um, But the the other is that we do need to have. More protected spaces for cyclists. The need and routes need to be continuous. You know, I, uh, you know, every every day you get yourself onto a nice little route, and then suddenly it, it peter's out, and you're back on the road again. So you need we need uh, better protection uh, for cyclists, and we need to be more considerate to other road users.
1: You're obviously a great communicator and PR man in terms of our. Uh, I, I, I love your description of how you created that buzz around the, um, the, the, the London Architecture Festival and bringing that cattle into <laughs> St. John Street. Well, What could we do in Camden that we could create that buzz around sort of um, environment and healthy living and new, new era ahead? Any ideas that we could just bring thousands of people within the borough of Camden onto this journey of a better environment, a cleaner place to live, a safer place to live? No, I'm putting you on the spot here.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, you you are. But I I, I mean, these are things I, I think about quite a lot because a lot of the things that I deal with within, you know, urban planning or architecture are quite technical. and But they're things which you need to engage with a, a wider public, people who don't necessarily un- understand the technicalities but would understand the benefits of uh, uh, providing... Better environments and so on, and so, somehow you've got to make that that leap, and uh, and I think quite a lot of it is uh, you might say is PR and thinking how how, how do you make a story which somebody's going to read? It's how do you make make uh, the the headline, and it was it's quite interesting at the moment. There's a little structure going up um, at the uh, west end of Oxford Street uh, by uh, Marble Arch, uh, which is uh, a hill. Uh, seen it. yeah yeah and, and that, that's being built so that people can uh, climb up there to the top, look out over uh, Hyde Park and then look down Oxford Street. Now that's a part of what is being done to the Oxford Street District, which is you know new curbs and planters and things like that, which is great, but not you know, amazing news. But actually what this hill does, it tells a story to people. About the change that is happening, it's also great for magazines, for uh, headline stories, photographs in the paper. It it is good PR, but it's a great piece of design. Uh, but it's it has a real message behind it, and you know the message they're trying to get over is that you know we we shouldn't see the park Hyde Park. You know it's been uh, inside a roundabout for. I don't know 50 60 years I suppose and access to it is pretty grim you know Park Lane is a huge barrier we've got to look at ways that we can draw those areas of green which are going to be even you know more important in the city in the future into being a part of the city itself so here you have something which is a striking visual image you know they're going to be photographs it every, everywhere everyone will be bringing on Instagram Pinterest, um, newspapers, as I say, so uh, that that I think is 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 a really good bit of just highlighting an issue, telling a story, and making people think more about their environment. So I th- I, th- I think it's it's finding uh, ways that will really sing in terms of a story that can be understood by the wider community not just the sort of specialist planners and so on who uh, understand the technicalities
1: well thanks peter for being here today on camdeners uh it's been so fascinating and a delight to meet you and yeah looking forward to continuing the discussion been a pleasure that's it for camdeners if you'd like more information please see the links below this podcast was recorded at Serendipity Studios in Arlington Road, Camden, for the Camden Clean Air Initiative. In Camden Town. In Camden Town. In Camden Town.